Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Dental Practice Heroes Clinical Edition. I got the guys from Colorado Surgical Institute here, Dr. Tahir Dune and Dr. Dan Brisky. In our last episode, we talked about two sensitivity. We wanted to get into a little bit of like the TMJ stuff, but we didn't get there because we spent a lot of time talking about two sensitivity. So we're just going to kind of piggyback off that and move on to that dirty little joint that we all hate or love, depending on who you are. So what do you say about that TMJ, Brisky? <laughs> yeah, uh, I was kind of surprised how long we could actually talk for two sensitivity. And we could, <laughs> gosh, I feel like we could have even talked another like half hour, an hour on it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, super, super great topic to talk about. But when you have a sensitive tooth, right, and you've done the correct things, you're being honest with yourself and you feel like you did a really stand up job with the filling and the tooth is sensitive still, and you did your job by adjusting the bite correctly because you understand occlusion, and you did a steroid as well, and the tooth just won't calm down, right, and the patient's in pain, and you're seeing some signs of bruxism and very clenching because patients get sensitive if you tell them they grind their teeth, right? So I tell them that everyone clenches their teeth is what I tell them because life is stressful. And then I kind of joke and say, I blame it on COVID. They go, ha ha ha. So I kind of get around around it a little bit, right? So (laughs) patients aren't so offended by me telling them that their baby's ugly, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But at that point, we recommend putting the patient into a splint. We use a quick splint, it's called. It's basically just an NTI that can be relined with PVS material. It's even easier now to just Sorry, sorry for the website now that has quick splints, but you can actually just print them now, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So ask one of your buddies and see if you can get someone to send you an STL file to just print the quick splints so it costs you a few cents rather than $10, $12. I think they're $12 a piece. So that's the next step is basically giving the patient a quick splint, a splint or an NTI. You can make your own NTIs in your office as well with salt and pepper if you'd really like to. But this is a very easy way to do it. You just put some reline material inside of it, have them bite down and send them home. That would be the next step. One of the portions that you have to think about too is when you have canines in function, you have hyperfunction, you can have way more increased amount of force with the masseter onto the teeth. So you can have quite a bit of pain. So the patient's in pretty severe pain. I'll actually remove the canines from occlusion. So they can't hit on those like right from the beginning is, is a big one because that can really help, right? That can move the patient away from a ton of pain. You know, I'm just curious, you know, because I feel like, and I'm sure everyone would share this sentiment, there is so much shame for some reason associated with someone that grinds their teeth. They're just like, no, I don't. Uh-uh. No, I do not do that. I No, I, I used to. I love that. That's, that's my favorite. I used to do it, but now I pay more attention. I don't grind my teeth anymore. <laughs> I'm just curious what you guys, what do you guys say for the, the millions of bruxism deniers that are just in denial of their bruxism? Yeah, I tell them, this is my exact quote. I say it every single time. It's not actually grinding. It's just clenching your teeth. And when you're driving or you're working out, just look at yourself in the mirror and you're clenching. And I just tell them that everyone clenches their teeth because life is stressful, right? And it's like, you kind of look at them like, my life's stressful. I clench mine. You know you clench yours, right? And then if they're still offensive, that's when I tell you I blame it on COVID. So um, life is stressful <laughs> only the past two years. And it's only because of COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's really good. Yeah. And to address the, um, oh, I used to and now I don't, I tell them like, look, man, you idle at 60 miles per hour. And when you are aware of it, you're going 120. But once a grinder, always grinder. And I tell them like, look, I'm a grinder also. I wear these appliances. Every appliance I make for my patients, I've already made for myself. And it takes one to know one. So 
I'll tell them, ask them things like, hey, has anyone ever asked to talk to you about grinding your teeth or clenching your teeth or any of that stuff? And they always say no, or not always, but if they say no, I'm like, okay, I'll be the first one. And then I go into the whole spiel of we're going to look at your airway because if you're not breathing properly, that makes you grind and clench your teeth. We know acid reflux makes you grind and clench your teeth. We know stress makes you grind and clench your teeth. However, we also know that once you are a grinder, you're always a grinder. It's just those three things take you from 60 miles an hour to 120. And so a lot of people do it and they're unaware. And I'm just telling them, hey, you're unaware of it. Everyone's unaware of it. It's okay. Yeah, I like that analogy that you use. And, and I, I always like to find like an excursive, like some canine wear or like the crossover Bruxer where you see it in the central incisors. And I like to find like, hey, give me your dog. I mean, and I get a mirror and I see, see how good those fit together. I'm like, do you ever chew with your jaw like this? And they're just like, whoa. Like, that's like, that's what I like to do is like, dude, you don't go out this way when you're chewing. This would just, nobody chews out here. This is what you're doing while you're sleeping. So that's what I always do to show people. That's my kind of eye opener. Yeah, dude, I'm stealing that. Yeah. Paul, what I do, same thing. I show them the top of the tooth and you can see where the enamel is and the dentin is. And then I switch to a, a bite wing and I say, hey, look how thick your tooth is. And I said, this used to be there. Yeah. <laughs> right. You've lost two millimeters of tooth. And every millimeter is equal to almost 50 years of wear. So yeah. you have now created 100 years of wear in 40 years. Wow, that's that's quite significant. You must have a stressful life, right? Or you may have sleep apnea. We need to fix this. And this isn't just your typical night guard, right? We tell them, you know, this might be the night guard. That, this isn't the night guard that Josh Momo makes, makes down the street, right? This is something specially built for you because we have to fix why you're actually having the clenching. Um, is it because you have jaw issues, right? You, maybe your ortho didn't line up your CO and CR together, or do you have sleep apnea? And this is where Dr. Dune, because Dr. Dune loves sleep apnea, will send a sleep test out. Yeah, I always like saying the natural wear of teeth, and I'm like, either you're grinding your teeth or you were born around the Civil War, bro. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. and that always that's like my you know how we all got like 10 jokes in our bag that our insistence roll our eyes every time they say it yeah yeah that's yep. one of mine <laughs> also intro or camera you know undeniable show them show them a good one show them a bad one and then also when when you do your examination palpate muscles right palpate the masseteric muscles i have them i put my hand like on the inferior border and then i have them clench and if it pops out and they got a strong masseteric muscle, I say, whoa, that's not normal, right? That's, you know, my, my old thing to say is like, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you know, that's the 80s. So I got to figure out like a new buff dude, but I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's Arnold from the 80s in there, you know, and they'll feel temporalis muscles. And then if they're in pain, oftentimes when they're in pain, you have to go to the medial pterygoid muscle. So it's actually intraoral all the way up buckle to the second molar and it's a really thin band of muscle and if you squeeze that i mean it's going to hurt them and then also you can palpate the medial pterygoid muscle so to find that one it's actually intraoral back past the second molar around the wisdom teeth on the buckle and you kind of squeeze that muscle you'll kind of feel a thin band of muscle up there you squeeze it and you're going to find that there's like acute pain in those muscles and that's a clear indication that grinding and clenching and parafunctional habits because it's a very small elevator muscle that's responsible for opening and closing the mouth like the masseteric and temporalis muscle now why can't you palpate the masseter without clenching you can and, and you can go in there i like to see how far it flexes out to see like how 
hypertrophic it is essentially. Um, but also I'll, I'll palpate it when they're not flexing. Like right now I'm doing it to mine. I have a knot in mine cause I'm a grinder, but you can find knots in it. And I'll say, Hey, feel you, you feel that knot in there, you know, and I put their finger on it. I make them palpate it. And I'm like, that's like a knot in your back. Like it starts to tie them towards like, Hey, this is like, okay, the jaw is different from the back, but then it ties them to something that they understand. So I'll palpate the muscles. And if you want, I don't know how to describe what four to eight pounds of pressure is, but if you use one finger and you put pressure into certain areas, if it's painful and you say one, two or three, three is like, stop right now. One is I'm okay. And two is like, okay, that's tender. If you put pressure into a site for about five to eight seconds and it hurts, that's a myalgia. If it radiates up and down into different areas of the skull, into the temporalis, up the trapezius, all of that stuff, it's a trigger point. So then also, or they could say, hey, that feels really good. And you're like, okay, well, this muscle is stressed out. So all these things you kind of piece together too with your extra oral examination. Nice. I do the same thing. Like, is it one, two, three or zero, one, two, something like that? It's like, don't really feel anything. Then it's tender or it feels better. And then like the second one would be it hurts because it, uh, some people are, are wary because if you tell them it hurts, they're like, no, that doesn't hurt. But <laughs> if you tell them that, it's, if you ask them if it feels better, that you get some honesty from it. Cause you have people saying, Oh yeah, it actually does feel better. Like, yeah, well that's because that muscle is so sore, <laughs> right? That'd be like you jumping on one leg and then you got a massage and you're like, your leg feels good. Like, well, your jaw is tired too. Then you have a patient, they're either symptomatic or asymptomatic. If they're asymptomatic, let's go ahead and get a sleep test. You need to determine uh, what, what's the first domino getting hit. Is it they're just a baseline bruxer and grinder or do you want to get a sleep test? So there's different things you can do where it decreases your overhead to the practice, where there's rings. There's called like sleep image rings where it costs, I think, 10 bucks per test. I just test every adult patient of the practice who has scalloping on their tongue. The malum potty is a three or four. Their tongue is elevated above the occlusal table of the lower molars. When they lay back, if they uh, open their mouth, the tongue kind of drops backwards. If their neck circumference is huge, they're overweight. And all of those things are just indicators, but it's not guaranteed. You know, you have very healthy people with apnea as well and children with apnea as well. So from that perspective, we, we give them a ring. It's like, hey, we clean your teeth. We do fillings. We do crowns. We test for sleep apnea. It's just like, hey, this is what we do here. And it's just a matter of fact, not, hey, would you like to take a sleep test? They're going to say no 90% of the time. It's like, hey, Jordan's going to get the sleep test set up for you and then come drop it off the next day so we can get it cleaned and charged for the next patient. And I'll get back to you in two weeks with your results. And then we have a deeper conversation about your grinding and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because people do these home sleep tests. I mean, I, I could speak from personal experience. I have sleep apnea. I wear a mask. I put it off for so long because I just didn't want to go. And then I just did a home sleep test and it was easy. You know, it's like people will do that. Nobody wants to go sleep in the lab. Nobody wants to do that. So it's like if you can make it easy for the patients, it's a very, I mean, it's the right thing for the patient too. But yeah, continue. And then let's say they're symptomatic. Well, you do all the same things, but then you charge them 75 bucks, 80 bucks for a quick splint. Right, maybe fifteen dollars in impression material, six cents in a three D printed material, twenty dollars in payroll and whatever. So you're breaking even on it basically, but it's allowing you to isolate if it's a posterior occlusion issue because the quick splint or anterior discluder is doing that. It's like a lucia jig. It's discluding the posterior teeth at night from touching to evaluate if posterior teeth are creating the the symptoms. What would you say for the people that are, are, were taught 
no, you don't do anterior disclusion or devices like you, you can get open bite. For this example, we're treating it just to test the theory. So what I'm telling the patient is, you know, dentistry is pretty simple when it comes to fillings and crowns, right? We do X and we get Y and everything is fine. And it's very predictable. TMJ, I say TMJ to the patients because they don't know what TMD is and I don't care to explain for an extra three minutes. So I say, TMJ, what essentially this is, is I'll take you through all the steps that are needed to get you symptom free. Sometimes it took you years to get here. So it could take us years for me to unravel this. So you have to be okay with once we hit this first domino that we're getting to the finish line or maybe we don't find resolution. 85% of our patients are good after step number two. Some of them have to go to step number 15. I don't know who you are yet. So I'm prepping them with like, I'm not solving this on day one, nor should you expect me to. But a lot of the times I can. So I'm pre-prepping it. Like on the last one, when we do a filling, hey, you might need a root canal. Even if it's a shallow class two, I'm just pre-prepping the patient's expectations. And Paul, when you said the kind of staying out of trouble for open bite, that is a really, really good point because one thing that you can do is every single person needs to have a leaf gauge record, right? So when you have a leaf gauge, that's basically you're putting your jaw, your hinge back into CR position. Some people will go sooner than others, right? Most people will be at like, I don't know, 7 to 12, maybe 15 leaves before they get it back into CR. But there's a very small percentage that will take 30 leaves, or 32 leaves, 35 leaves to get back in their CR position. Those are the patients that are at risk for having an open, open bite later down the road. Because what will happen is as soon as you give them that person, which you should be identifying with this record, a NTI, right? You could have altered or passive seeding of the condyle. And now the patient comes back in and they say, hey, my bite, no, my condyle doesn't hurt anymore. That's amazing. But oh my God, look at my front teeth. My bite is wide open. It's 10 millimeters open. And they might not even care. There's one patient I met who was the happiest lady in the world. But I was like, holy crap. I wish, I'm glad she didn't sue me. Holy <laughs> 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 shit. I got by that one. But <laughs> you have to add this in your consent form. So this needs to go in a consent form for sure. This has to basically say that the patient, when you're making them a night guard, an NTI, or getting them out of pain, right, that you're confirming your leaf with your leaf gauge, how many leaves it actually takes to get them back at the CR position. And if they're at high risk, which is like a 30 or 30 or above in the leaf gauge, at that point, you have to explain that to them and leave it very optional. Let them know, hey, this could... This could go pretty south for you, and I don't want you to sue me. <laughs> yeah. Now, you're talking about putting the leaf gauge in, and you're trying to see how many leaves it is so that there's no posterior occlusion when they're biting on the leaf yep. gauge, right? Correct. Yep. Correct. And I think each leaf is 0.1 millimeters. So if it's 30 leaves, it's 3 millimeters. Is that correct, Brisky? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then also at the same time, you're telling them, like, hey, if, if they're in that category, we're like we might have to do ortho. Like be prepared for orthodontics once we're asymptomatic and we're going to take you through this as well. So yeah, super, super important point on the anterior open bite. If somebody gets the anterior open bite, can you get it back? It just depends on, on how far it swings. Like you need to tell them like, hey, if your bite, if you start to bite and like lettuce is not getting cut anymore and you're biting a sandwich and the lettuce is pulling out, I need you in here right away. You know, and you got to nip it in the bud before it, like it's like a one year check and now it's three millimeters open because then... The least amount of work you got to do is always the best. I wish the listeners could have just saw Brisky's face when I asked that. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also with TMJ stuff, you got to check your, your occlusion, right? You can either mount models, which I don't do anymore. You can use an iTero and see where they're hitting. You can use a tech scan and see where they're hitting in terms of percentage and like the the rate of how the envelope of function is opening and closing and all that cool stuff that technology can provide. Or you can just get blue and red articulating paper, right? Really thin ones, not like the the three millimeter articulating papers, but like the, you know, four micron, 12 micron articulating paper. And you want to look for interferences in the molars. If there's wisdom teeth present, you want to consider maybe extraction of wisdom teeth. You're going to talk about sleep appliances. The sleep appliance needs to wrap around the distal of the posterior tooth. So adults have to consider wisdom teeth coming out because getting an impression back there and getting more acrylic back there is sometimes difficult. So a lot of the different things to consider when evaluating occlusion for, you know, all this appliance therapy and stuff, because sometimes you can just, you know, resolve it. Now, what kind of appliances do you typically recommend? And we're just talking about bruxism. We don't have to get into like occlusal splints and stuff like that. But like, are you always doing like an MTI, like just an anterior appliance? Like when are you doing flat plane, full coverage? Just curious. So what I do is if the patient does have jaw issues, right, or they're in pain and they come to us in pain and we got them out of pain at that part that I put them in an anterior discluder is what it's called. So it's like an upper NTI and there's a lower appliance that's a, called a slider. So it's just an upper NTI across a lower slider. That's what I put them in and then they're in CR position now. If they still have a little bit of pain afterwards, at that point, I'll do Botox. I'll do Botox in the masseters, deep masseter most likely, and then temporalis. And that solves 95% of people, like for the most part. But you also have to think of that, you know, if they have sleep apnea, they still need to be treated. So this is why we also recommend getting these patients like the sleep test. Because if it's super severe at that point, they're going to have to wear a CPAP and the mouth appliance (laughs) or a CPAP and the NICARD. Or if they're not too severe too, we could just get them in an actual sleep appliance at that point and just kill two birds with one stone. If the patient doesn't really have pain, I don't put them in this more expensive NICARD. I just give them a traditional NICARD, like a hard soft splint. For the maxilla. I like the maxillar one. Some people like lowers. I like the upper for some reason. Yeah. The only time I would do a lower is if they have apnea and they're refusing to treat it or they're refusing the sleep test. And I don't know if they have apnea and I'm thinking about it. And the reason why is when they desaturate, the tongue is going to push forward and it needs space to move into. And if you got an upper appliance kind of occupying a little bit of the tongue space, then it inhibits their ability to open the airway you know, as they desat. So lowers, if you suspect anything, you don't have the data. I mean, you know, it's negligible here or there. It's just if you want to like move the needle and, and have a reason, that's the reason. I'm doing the same thing as Brisky with the anterior discluder sliders. If they're asymptomatic, I'm doing a 3D printed occlusal appliance because I can remake them for like next to nothing when they break them. But I'm also making a orthodontic Essex on the opposing arch. So that way I'm not breaking the appliances as quickly. It's just, you know, similar materials wearing against each other. And then we have a, a charge for that. And then um, if it's a sleep appliance, I got numerous ones I kind of pick from just depending on the patient. Are they in full upper lower prosthetics? Are they in veneers? Do they have a lot of crown and bridge? Are they peri involved? So there's a lot of different things that you take into consideration on that one. Hey, Brisky, you talked about the Botox stuff. Like, if somebody's like, yeah, I don't want to do Botox in my practice, like, give, give someone a reason to do it. Cause I, and there might be a lot of dentists listening saying, you know what? I didn't ever, never even considered that. Jaw pain is highly, is a big thing, right? But the hard part is 
as dentists, we don't know what we don't know, right? So you could be giving a patient a regular splint when that's not what they have, right? They have some hyperactive muscles or they have some T and D issues where it was need to be fixed. So for the most part, I really encourage everyone listening to start take also take some classes on this stuff, right? It's super, super important. Um, your best patients are the ones you get out of pain, right? Because they'll love you for the rest of your freaking life. So what typically we'll do after I give someone a splint like that and they get better, but they still have pain, they, they'll usually just say, I have headaches. And this is usually as simple as that. And you ask them, where are your headaches? Are they up here to your, are you at your temple? I'm like, they're like, yes, because <laughs> it's always there, right? It's almost always there as far as the trigger point. It's usually at the masseter or the temporalis is usually a very, very popular starting point. So you don't have to go dive into the very, very deep end and be a, a spa dentist and go to only do and treating Botox. But the majority of patients, you can actually get out of pain completely by giving them a, a nice splint after it's correctly diagnosed and then doing 10 units of <laughs> Botox. Actually, it's usually about 50 units total between the both between the masseter and the temporalis. And then that patient will come back to see you, you know, every three, four months for the rest of their life. How, how many units in the masseter typically? I'm usually doing like 20, but I'm just curious what you do. 15 to 20. It's usually 15 to start and you can add another five or you're going to go deep temporal, deep masseter as well. So you can break that up like 15, five, something like that. 15 in the superficial, five in the deep, and then another 10 spread out between the temporalis. But you do it in two spots usually, two to three spots depending on how big, how long the temporalis is. I like dropping it in the masseter because I feel like every line on that syringe for like 20 units is like cha-ching, 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 ching <laughs> <laughs> Just do one or two injections and put that many units in one spot. It's like, woo. Have you ever accidentally made the cha-ching noise when you put it in? Cha-ching, <laughs> <laughs> cha-ching. I will. Yeah. Whoops. And just for like cost analysis on that, you probably can get Botox for about $6.50 a unit once you count all your like disposables and alcohol wipes and all that stuff. And so I charge $10 a unit. And I'm by far the cheapest person in that area, but you can go 12 some people are $20 a unit depending on the area. So imagine the ROI on that. What we do with our extra Botox is we actually just give it to the team. So when the, when we've hit the ROI or the, the, the overhead break even on Botox, the rest goes to the team. They have their name on a list. And then the ladies either have it for headaches or they're grinders and clenchers because I'm not fun to be around sometimes. And, you know, I'll, I'll hook them up and, and keep them around too. So it's a good way to retain people as well. Awesome. Well, Colorado Surgical Institute, what do you guys got coming up? Like uh, in the, you know, late winter, spring, what's going on for classes? Man, we are sold out for the full arch block rafting lateral course in February. Uh, we're sold out for the uh, single implant and wisdom tooth course and vertical sinus course in March. We actually are starting uh, our anesthesia course. It's going to be IV sedation and oral sedation certification in June. And then we're also going to be starting our next round of courses with single implants, wisdom teeth, and full arch in, I think, May and June. So reach out to us. I mean, we're here to help. Uh, we're going to be opening up extra courses just based on how many people we're pushing into later months in the year next year. But it's, it's been an awesome ride. It's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, guys, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Doon from Colorado Surgical Institute. 
Just wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know about the program. We have full arch surgeries. We have lateral sinus lifts. We have block rafting courses all done in one weekend with the whole digital workflow with photogametry units, scanners, 3D printers, milling, you name it, anything regarded to full arch, we cover in depth. We also have a PGCA course. What that is, it's the Postgraduate Clinical Accelerator course where we are going to be covering wisdom teeth, single implants, and it can be complex single implants with vertical sinus lifts. We'll also be covering full arch extractions with ridge reduction, bone grafting, PRP, suturing, and we also will have a course on socket preservation. So if you guys are interested in any of those courses, please reach out to us at Colorado Surgical Institute. The code is HERO10 for 10% off our courses because we love Paul Etchison and his podcast, and we're here to help.